Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to the Rattlecast. It is uh, Tuesday, April 28th. This is episode number 38 featuring William Trowbridge. Um, Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been continuous publication since 1995, and we just do this because we love poetry. So if you love poetry as much as we do, uh, please do click the like button and share and tell your friends and all that good stuff. Uh, no matter where you're watching this, if you're watching it on uh, iTunes, well, I guess you'd be listening on iTunes. If you're watching it on YouTube, if you're watching it on Facebook, whatever you're doing, uh, just do me a favor and click the like button or some kind of emotion to show the algorithms that you care, because that'll uh, show us that you care. One little thing before we start, I want to let everybody know we have the prompt poem coming up. Uh, the prompt was the swimmer at the end of this broadcast. We're doing it a little differently, though. I mentioned this last week, but we are um, not going to be doing uh, pre-recorded poems anymore. So if you would like to read your poem uh, that you wrote for the prompt this week for The Swimmer, uh, you have to call me in, or um, if you email your poem to openmic at rattle.com, uh, include your phone number if you want me to call you, and I can call you up over the phone. Or you can send me a chat message right now over on Skype to Rattle Poetry, all one word. And if you do neither, but you'd still send me one of your prompt poems, I'm going to read a few I can't get to everybody. We received about a dozen this week. We can always do a few um, as a way to cap off every episode. So um, go ahead and let me know if you want to, want to read it live over the air. I like these shows to be as spontaneous as possible. And um, it's sort of more fun for me that way. And there's less prep for me that way if we uh, just kind of see what happens. So that's what we're going to do. I'm just going to flip over to that open mic at rattle.com email account and see what you've all sent me. And we'll read and share a few of them at the end of the show. So, um, so do that. Now, um, for the uh, warm-up poem today, I thought we'd do... You know, William Trowbridge is one of the most entertaining poets. Um, these, these two books are just a delight to read. And uh, they make you feel good um, in a very specific way. And um, today's poem that I thought I'd read is just today's poem on Rattle, um, which is Quarantine Day 35 by Jamie R. Wood. And uh, just so different in tone to what uh, William Trowbridge does. I thought that'd be a good contrast to do as everybody comes in and joins the Rattlecast here. So um, let's flip over to uh, the poem. This is Quarantine Day uh, 35 by Jamie R. Wood. And hopefully you can hear this. Here we go. Quarantine Day 35. The online coronavirus survey asks if you've experienced hair loss. And you laugh because just yesterday you took brand new clippers to your scalp and sheared off enough hair to help someone with cancer feel human again. Your friend tells you over Zoom happy hour to hug yourself to trick your body into feeling less lonely. So you wrap your arms, right to left and left to right, across your chest until your hands reach your shoulder blades and you can feel your heart beating inside you as if it belongs to someone else. But you know that hasn't been true for a long time. You stay up all night watching hospital dramas because you want to know who will live and who will die. And one morning, you wake to find out via email that one of your students died in her sleep. All day, you tell people again and again, she had kids, she had kids, plural. But it turns out she only had one five-year-old daughter, singular. But what does it matter? 
Every child is a universe. And one morning, one small girl in Portland, Oregon, woke up without her one very important mother. Sometimes my hands shake with all they cannot hold, and I don't know how to measure what it means for time to pass, which simile will do. Like a heartbeat? Like a million fine hairs falling from a head? Like a mother who slept through the night and then stopped, her universe carrying the weight of her through all the days of her life? And that was Jamie R. Wood uh, reading her poem Quarantine, Day 35. She writes, uh, the ongoing event that we're all experiencing right now is social isolation in an attempt to protect ourselves from our loved ones from COVID-19. And some people like me live alone. And so the isolation is profound. Last week, I learned that one of my students died in her sleep. And of all of the things I knew about her, the thing I kept thinking about was the fact that she was a single mother and that her kids were young. I knew that, but I couldn't remember how many kids she had until someone told me that the only that she only had one. And at that point, it didn't really matter to me. The loss is great, no matter how you calculate it. The loss of this one woman and my feelings about it can be multiplied many times over and applied to each of us. We wake up and fall asleep to loss, and there aren't adequate words to measure it all. So that was Jamie R. Wood's poem of the day on Um Made me tear up. I don't know about you. Um, the first time I read it and this morning, too. When I, the first time I listened to her read it. And she uh, did a great job reading it, too, I should mention. We talked in the last episode with uh, George Bilgier about um, letting silence speak when you're reading poems. And she did a great job of that there. That's something I really wish I could do a better job of myself. Um, but a beautiful, touching poem and a tribute to um, not just one life lost, but so many of the lives lost lately. Now, um, switching gears, though, today's poet is... Uh, William Trowbridge, and let me show you his book here. His most recent book is uh, Old Guy Superhero, um, The Complete Collection. And it has these amazing illustrations by um, Tim, Tim Mayer. Um, so it's sort of a hybrid between a um, graphic novel and a book of poetry. It's an interesting collection um, from Red Hand Press. And um, I'm going to read you uh, Bill's bio really quick. Um, a former poet laureate of Missouri, William Trowbridge, is the author of seven full-length collections and five chapbooks. His poems have appeared in more than 35 anthologies and textbooks, as well as in numerous publications, including the Writer's Almanac, and American Life and Poetry. His awards include an Academy of American Poets Prize, a Pushcart Prize, etc., etc., so many awards. Uh, he lives in Kansas City area and teaches at the University of Nebraska Low Res Residency MFA writing program. And uh, here he is, William Trowbridge. Hey, William. Hi, Tim. How you doing? All right. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's uh, really looking forward to reading your poems uh, today. I've loved your work for a long time. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, I remember um, somebody told me to read Ship of Fool before I knew who you were, before we'd ever published you. And, oh. um, and I loved that book. And, um, and then you started setting all of a sudden out of nowhere. So we published a few poems, and we published a bunch of these old guy superhero poems. Um, do you want to start out just by reading maybe... Maybe one poem, maybe the first poem, to sort of let people know what the book's about? Okay, uh, I'll, I'll read the, the first poem in the book. Um, actually, Red Hen was uh, generous enough to uh, do a chat book before this book came out uh, in the form of a comic book. They actually went to a publisher uh, who specialized in comic books, 
and it came out exactly looking like a comic book, including the um, the Charles Atlas ad in the uh, in the back page. Um, then it sort of morphed into this full collection. So this is the first poem, and um, it actually sort of came to me. I was seeing superheroes all over the place, flying and appearing and disappearing, and in, in uh, fiction and film and video games and everything. And I noticed they're all young. So I thought I need to fill out the superhero universe with uh, um, my guy, who's uh, called Old Guy Superhero. So this is the this is the first poem in the collection, and a kind of introduction to him. Old Guy Superhero. Feels like a young guy in a bad costume. The arms and legs sag, and the waist too tight. There should be a large S, golden star, or lightning bolt. There's what looks like a zero, and on his trunks, depends. The boots look more like flannel slippers. Some louts made off with his super hearing and x-ray vision, leaving only an ampli ear and coke bottle lenses. Like certain sheep, he doesn't fly so much as plummet. He hasn't smashed through a good wall or door since before he can remember, which is a little after breakfast. Speeding bullets and tall buildings must now be turtles and molehills. He has no fear of an erection lasting more than four hours, but he's depressed and often flatulent. His best tactic, the long wait, accounts for the demise of many a foe that are rambling on and on and on and on, which can paralyze from as far as 10 feet. He's not handsome like Clark Kent or rich like Bruce Wayne, but in the prolonged run, he can be a deadly opponent if he doesn't mix you up with someone else. <laughs> That was uh, the title poem, or the first poem from Old Guy Superhero. Um, William, you mentioned, uh, first I should say, if anybody has any questions for uh, William Trowbridge, um, I'm, I'm watching the chat windows both on YouTube and on Facebook. Um, and both, everything's all working well. So if you have any questions, just ask them there and I will pass them on. Um, but William, how do you, I was wondering, you know, you, you're one of the more thematically oriented poets. Um, you know, you have the, the I'm, I'm familiar with three of your books, The Kong Book, then Ship of Fool, and Old Guy, which all have these themes. Um, how do you, how do you end up like with a theme? Like, did you write that poem as if it were like one poem? And then you said, yes. oh, I have more here. Or do, do you like say, oh, I think I could write a whole series of poems like this. Like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, well, the chicken, I think I, I, I wrote one poem. I wrote the old guy poem with no intention of writing any more old guy poems. The same thing going back to the Kong book, which uh, I guess the earlier, earliest series book I, I um, composed. And um, that too, there was one Kong poem I wrote. And, and then um, it reminded me, it triggered me on something else. And that triggered me on something else and on and on and on. I, I I try to follow these till, you know, the bitter end uh, without, you know, getting to the point where I'm repeating myself. And uh, it's it's kind of work for me, so um, I'm not fighting it, you know, something, you know, if when the poem starts coming, you can't, you know, say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how, how many poems in do you realize you have, like, a whole book? Like, is it the kind of thing where you're just like, and you, like, you don't even notice you're writing more and more, and then you say, oh, I have a book, or, or, or do you end up writing toward a book eventually? Well, um, when I get going, 
then I start writing toward a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I'm not really um, intent with like the first three or four poems of going much farther in, unless, you know, the spirit leads me and and, um, and thank goodness it does sometimes. So uh, by the time I get like what would be half a book or, or in, in that case, uh, um, like the Kong book and, and the old guy book were both chapbooks at first. And so the, and the, and the, the Kong chapbook was uh, 15 years earlier than the actual Kong collection. It, it, you know, he sort of stopped talking to me and then started again uh, 15 years later. And then the whole full collection came out. And the, uh, the old guy, as I said, was a, was a chapbook to begin with, too. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 by the time the chapbook was done, I was pretty well sure I was going to do lots more old guy poems. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, I, I like the phrase, you said, uh, you know, that, that the fool was talking to you, or Kong was talking to you. Um, do you do you feel like there's a, I don't know, like, like does it come from like a separate part of your brain? Or like, how does, like, like who's speaking to you? Like, how does that, how does that work? Uh, it does, it does come from some mysterious place, which I always um, am happy to have happen. I, you know, it's, it's um, um, not a good idea to have all this stuff be conscious and planned and outlined and everything. I always tell my students, you know, you have to let the poem start talking to you uh, instead of you uh, doing it like a freshman essay or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's um, um, uh, some kind of channel opens up and, and I'm, you know, I just go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's really, it's just, you know, some books or poems are just, you pick through and there's, um, you know, like, I like this poem and then this poem didn't do anything for me. And then like four poems later, you see one that's great. But when there's an arc and there's a story behind it and there's a character that repeats, it, it's sort of, it's engaging in the way a novel's engaging, I feel like. Do you, um, do you like to read books like this? Or like, what makes you want to no. write books like this? Uh, I... You mean poetry books? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. was, I was, I, I, you know, I think you know, one of the reasons that this happens is that I was uh, a fiction scholar for, um, I was going to grow up to be a fiction scholar, and, and all of my uh, graduate studies were toward uh, a dissertation in fiction, not poetry. And um, uh, in fact, my dissertation is, not, is on the novels of William Faulkner. So I'm, I was sort of narrative oriented. Um, when I when I got into poetry, and um, uh, I got sort of sidelined when I was studying for my PhD comps, and um, there was a scary oral exam at Vanderbilt, which was two hours long, and it was up or down, you know, live or die. And I'd never had an oral exam before; all of my stuff had been written before, so I was I was very tense about that. And and there was no reading list or anything. It was you know everything's you know their game. So I thought I better, I didn't, I wasn't really uh, knowledgeable about modern poetry that time. So I bought uh, an anthology of modern poetry and uh, was studying that and came across a poem by Howard Nemiroff that, that bit me. And, and I, I was, you know, um, that was a big turning point. I, you know, from that point, I started writing poems then and um, liked it and, and seemed to be fairly successful doing it. And so I had to sort of retool myself. Uh, I, was, I was hired um, as a, as a um, Faulkner scholar and I had to sort of convince them to 
you know, let me go the other way, and it took a while. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember what Nemirov poem it was, in particular? Yes, it was a it was a poem called Mouse Meal, hmm. and uh, um, I got I I. I looked this up. This is the anthology uh, that it oh, yeah. that was in mm -hmm. uh, the old Brennan Reed Modern Poetry Anthology, and uh, here it is, the center of dog-eared uh, that I still have. And uh, yeah, it was that one poem, Mouse Meal, and uh, it it had that wonderful combination of of uh, humor and darkness that I really like. Mm -hmm. My my favorite writers, fiction and poetry, all have that that tendency to write in a in a serial comic vein, which which I like to do, so uh, it, it it sort of got me on the right track, I think. And and I'm you know I was um, got to know Howard a little bit, and that was a great experience. Oh, that's great! Yeah, yeah. Well, that's no surprise that that, that you like that kind of fiction too. Um, do you want to read two more poems, maybe from the book? Okay. Um, this one's called um, "Old Guy Superhero." Counter-terrorist. Old guy's in line for his social security check when a man enters carrying a gun and wearing a suicide vest. Though people start to scream, old guy continues dog paddling through the shallows of his memory till the terrorist, noticing his scarlet cape and blank expression, shoves the gun on his face and asks how it feels to face certain death. Same as usual, says old guy, mistaking the threat for a rare show of interest, which prompts him to dust off his five examples of why everything's gone to goddamn hell since Truman fired Custer. After a while, the terrorist's eyelids droop, and he slumps into a nearby chair, snoring. When the gun drops to the floor, Old guy politely retrieves it, just as the SWAT team bursts in. How did you do it, old guy? Asked the press. Glue what? He says. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, there was a old guy superhero counter terrorist, and uh, we have this illustration too by Tim Mayer of um, old guy saving the day at the bank. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm really uh, grateful to Tim. I was. Uh, um, you know, I started putting these poems together and and uh, and thought, you know, this is kind of coming out like a comic book character, and I wondered if I'd find somebody who was who could do superhero comics. And uh, one of my uh, one of the students of the MFA program is a graphic novelist. Said, "I've got just a guy for you," and we connected, and we went from there. That's really yeah. I was going to ask about that, how that came to be, because it's such perfect. Art. I mean, I love the art in this book and the cover, um, which which he also did, of course. Um, how did, how did you find yourself working together? Did, um, did, did you show him poems like the whole book and he just illustrated what he felt like or how did that, how did that work? I sent him, uh, a set of poems and, um, uh, then he sent me some sketches and we had to go back and forth a little bit because, um, I had an idea of what old guy looked like and he had kind of a different idea of what old guy looked like. And then and the original sketches that came back, old guy looked kind of sort of like a mean fat guy. And I thought, you know, that's not really what I'm thinking of. And so I told him that. And then, uh, immediately the next time he came back with, with the perfect old guy, <laughs> um, figure. And so then I sent him all the old guy poems and let him pick out the ones that he felt, 
you know, that he could illustrate the best. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way we worked out. Yeah, yeah. I just realized why um, why I love the the illustration so much. That looks exactly like my grandfather. Oh, really? <laughs> With the big chin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's totally him. <laughs> well, you want to keep going? Okay. Um, I'll do one more old guy poem. The old guy superhero discovers his brother. The old guy known to some as old white guy, discovers that old black guy lives next door. After getting acquainted, they go out for a couple of beers at a local bar, where it draws, dawns on them that though young white guy got all the breaks, now, as old guys, they're treated as equals, better off dead. In light of this, they celebrate how racial slurs now seem innocuous as nerf balls. Kneel and lick my boot, opens old white guy. Bow and kick bow and kick my black ass, counters old black guy. Coon shouts one. Ofe retorts the other, followed by tearful laughter. After a while, the regulars complain to the bartender that the old guys who ought to be locked up in some home are acting like they own the place. A bouncer escorts them out through an alley door and shoves them into a pile of uncollected trash. After helping each other up, they head for the nearest liquor store. Another fine mess you got us into, Brillo Pad grins one. Me and your mama's dried up titties, bird shit, chuckles the other. Old guys ambling along as if they owned the whole damn street. <laughs> This old guy superhero discovers his brother, and there's the illustration for that. Um, uh, Jessica Dawson asks, before we move on uh, from the old guy poems, Jessica Dawson, I think this is the uh, Chicago Jessica Dawson, um, she asks, huh? how did you um, come up with different scenarios for old guy, that old guy experienced in the book? So did you, like, brainstorm? Did you just, like, write one and then yeah. the other? Was there... I brainstormed. I, I, I started thinking, well, what if I put him in this situation? What if I put him in that situation? Um, and uh, the, the, um, uh, one of them I used a friend of mine um, anecdote, uh, the one where old guy gets in a bar and, and uh, gets out of a fight by pretending he knows karate. Uh, I, I met a, a friend in uh, McDowell Colony who was a um, Japanese kid, a very slightly built small guy in, in his family. Uh, who lived in Seattle, moved to a little town in Oklahoma, and the bully decided to pick on him. And he was helpless pretty much, but he, he watched a TV show called Kung Fu. And so he um, he did an imitation of the Kung Fu thing. He didn't know karate at all, but the guy was completely intimidated by him. So, so um, I used that, you know, I turned that into to one of my old guy poems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it reminds me, I wonder it's, if it's a similar experience to writing like SNL skits or something, you know, like you, you know, have characters and throwing them together. Um, yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, he pop, pops him into one and, and pretty much the same with the Fool mm -hmm. poems. I, I think about, you know, what, would, what if I put him in this situation, what would he do? And, and then he, he winds up telling me what he's going to yeah. do. What, what do you think is the connection between um, um, comedy and poetry? Because I've always felt like comedy and poetry are very closely related. And the, and the way that the gesture always tells the truth, you know, there's that whole, yeah. you know, comedians are the ones that can stand up and say the things that we think but don't want to say. And we are, you know, both are articulating something that we kind of know but didn't know we quite knew. And so we're like, 
And then there's that ah expression that, that poets, you know, if you're an audience, they go ah, which is kind of like a laughter almost. It's like a tiny little, well, little mini laugh. Well, um, um, Howard Nemiroff, whom I mentioned before, has a, um, a really fascinating essay in a book called Reflections on Poetry and Poetics called Bottom's Dream, The Relationship Between Lyric Poetry and Jokes. And uh, he talks about a similar dynamic that there has to be in the joke, there is the setup and the punchline. And in, in, the, in the lyric poem, there is the surprise. You have to surprise and the surprise has to seem, after you surprise someone, it has to seem inevitable, it has to fit perfectly. And that's the way the, the joke punchline goes. And I think, you know, what he's, what he's talking about there um, um, is, you know, relates to what you're talking about, the relationship between poems and, and, and comedy. And, and also, it, can, it sort of, to me, explains what, what, what makes a perfect metaphor or simile. You know, you've got the surprise and then it's got to fit exactly. It can't just be surprise or it can't just be something that fits and doesn't really surprise. So... Um, yeah, I think there's a there's a an intimate connection, and um, that's kind of against the grain of the popular notion that that uh, poetry is a high, you know, it's not prosaic, uh, it's lofty, and to write a great poem, you must be totally serious, and and humor is a kind of low sort of thing, uh, you know, not many not many great awards go to comedy uh, in poetry or uh, uh, but. Uh, and, and, you know, some of the poets, uh, I, don't, I know Billy Collins has been kind of attacked mm-hmm. for, for um, you know, being too much, too much funny stuff in there. But I, I think, you know, George, you were talking about uh, talking to um, in the last interview, uh, made a perfect point that, you know, somehow comedy can become better with seriousness in it and seriousness it can become better with comedy in it. There is there's a great blending in it, but there's. You know, Aristotle talked about in the poetics. He talked about comedy and tragedy, and and um, for him, tragedy is for the nobility. Is uh, you know the, the the tragic fall. You have to come from a high place, and uh, comedy is for the the um, the farm people, the, the the you know the clods and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and so you you know so that attitude kind of lingers, <laughs> and it's. It's it's unfortunate, I think, but but um, um, you know there is that notion that that, that sort of um, undermines what we're talking mm-hmm. about, how they're the two are, are greatly related and strengthen each other. Yeah, yeah. And there's a way, like um, I don't know, like like George Carlin, for example, probably has more influence on the culture than you know writers in many other genres do. You know, just with yeah. his stand up, and and it's the same kind of insightful things that poets do. Um, just from a different sort of avenue that's half performance or something, but po- you know poets perform too. So it, it's just it's so similar to me, and I, I don't I don't. It's hard to distinguish between the two at some point. Well, Richard Pryor was a wonderful example too. Had these had these amazing comic narratives that he would spin. It could you know he could put them into poetry pretty mm-hmm. easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just sort of in the same vein, um, Diana Cole asks if you've written funny poems that turn serious at the end. That I, I assume she means like that you're surprised by where it went, that it went somewhere darker than you expected. I, I, it's funny that she should answer that. I have one that uh, that turned uh, very dark here that I'll like to find it. Um, okay, where is it? Never winning. Okay. 
Okay, still looking for it, spilling my coffee. Uh, yes, and the answer is yes. Yeah, I've I've had poems that um, that I I sort of started in a light vein and that turned um, extremely dark. Uh, oh, here it is. Um, this is called Screaming B-Movie Victims. I, I, I bought some wonderful figurines that I'm, I always thought, you know, they're kind of funny. You know, they're, eh, they're running away and then, you know, the Godzilla is squashing them and stuff. So um, the pump sort of started out that way and then took this Is that one of the ones you said? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. I see. Yes. It. Yeah. Uh, screaming B-Movie Victims. You can see them on DVD or TMC, stampeded by the blob, Godzilla, the giant Gila monster, by them or the it from outer space or beneath the sea. They sprint down Main Street, glancing over their shoulders, coattails flapping, skirts flying up. A few stumble and sprawl or stand there staring up in terror shot from the creature's viewpoint as they're about to be pancaked or devoured. It's hard not to laugh at the way they ham it up, ditching inhibitions for the primal shriek, bugging their eyes and waving their arms as their B-grade bit part fates unfold. You can buy a set of them in plastic, thumb-tall figures sold for their comic kitschiness. Something Eichmann thought he saw through the peephole at Auschwitz when the Zyklon pellets dropped and the Jews shrieked and waved their arms, made a human pyramid up to the small air vent. The bodies were laughingly called figurine, meaning puppets or dolls, which is what they looked like when shoved into ovens or dumped in graves long as football fields. In a model made for Landsman's movie Shoah, the dolls file to their shower and crematorium too. Unwary is the ants we used to roast by focusing sunlight with a magnifying glass as they soldiered toward their hole. We laughed to watch them scatter for their lives, then writhe and sizzle like haywire wind-up toys. We were Marines at Iwo, burning Japs, we used Chinese as bayonet dummies and were shown on posters as cartoon bugs or monkeys. In Life magazine, we saw the head of one, hood ornament on a GI tank, toothless, withered in the heat, mouth still gaping in a scream like some rubber prop from Attack of the Crab Monsters. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we can see where that one turns. Yeah, yeah. That... Uh, that definitely did. That went in a dark, a dark, powerful place. Oh, um, yeah. It's, uh, uh, didn't didn't start out that way, but it <laughs> did. Sort of... Did you know? Did you have any inkling that you were going there with it, or did it just come? No, out I, that didn't, way? I didn't. I didn't. I uh, didn't. Uh, I think the the um, the um, I've read a lot about the Holocaust, and uh, I, I knew that the Nazis, uh, the, that the gas chamber referred to the victims as dolls or mannequins and the when i was talking about the figures you could buy some the, the connection kind of 
dawned on me. I thought, wait a minute, I can't do that. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll do that. Mm -hmm. and oh, wow. So then everything else came rolling out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. And that's a newer poem. Is it? Is it forthcoming in any books, your next book or something? Or? Uh, it's, yeah, it's already forthcame. Uh, I think it's in, I think it's in Vanishing Point, uh, which is the book, book uh, before mm -hmm. this. Um, or it may be in uh, "Put This On, Please" with the new and selected, which came out before Vanishing mm -hmm. Point. But it's it's yeah, it's in one of my books. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have Vanishing Point. I should have I should have pulled it out too. I thought I had the two most recent. Huh. But um, um, let me see. Uh, oh, there's another question I wanted to ask. Uh, pass along. Um, Jimmy Poppis says, "I've noticed many allusions to movies and pop culture in many of your poems. I like to do that as well." Um, it allows the reader to bring in many personal references the author may not even realize. Um, and that's something that I, um, in my own writing, I, I don't like using references like that so much. It feels like it dates poems to me. Do you, do you ever no. think about the, the, um, you, you know, the why that you do that? Or is it just, is that something that just comes out too? Well, uh, I think pop culture, you know, uh, can be very, is part of our culture, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I like to, I like to blend the low and the high. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, so I do that. And also, um, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, they seem to go together to me and it doesn't bother me mm -hmm. much. Uh, and, and the, 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 the allusions to movies, I'm, I'm, I'm full of allusions to film classics. Mm -hmm. Um, and that comes from being a kid in a house where there was no art whatsoever, no music, no books, no nothing except our old black and white color TV or you know, our black and white TV set um, with the great 16 inch screen that they used to have. And, and uh, in the, in the evenings when there was uh, early times, uh, the programming is pretty thin. And after eight o'clock or so, they filled it out with showing old films. And those were my first exposure to art. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they they sort of stuck with me from my childhood on, and and uh, uh, always seem to be useful to bring into poems, one way or another. Yeah, that's really interesting because um, you know most of the poets you know that have been on here have said that you know I grew up in a book full of houses, and my dad would get liquored up and recite Yeats or something. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it's very different to have a my dad my dad my dad ran a packing house, mm -hmm. so uh, he was not into. <laughs> that very yeah, much yeah yeah that's <laughs> interesting so it makes sense though that it's more of a um you know that the cultural references are, are much less literary in uh in your books um do you want to read a couple more poems okay um uh, thought i'd read one that was that came out in rabble okay yeah. um and is um um it's a full poem that is um i have now a collection ready and i'm sending it out uh which is a whole new collection of fool poems called call me fool and so this is from from the new book you're the manuscript fool invents the piano 1250 a.d like the monkey that accidentally typed hamlet fool tinker in his workshop constructed an exact likeness of a steinway concert grand which he called the making sounds with little hammers on wires machine. It looked impressive, but he was puzzled about what to do with it. It was too big and complicated to be a doorstop, too heavy and lopsided to be a wheelbarrow, especially with those little brass wheels. So he tried using it to scare rats out of the hayloft, but the rats weren't impressed, and he sprained his back winching it up. 
spool pushed on the levers to make high sounds and low ones, wondering why he'd made some levers black. Neighbors, hearing eerie noises from his house, suspected fool of conjuring evil spirits to cast spells on them. Several broke out in goat-shaped rashes. Others began speaking gibberish. Soon, Fool found himself trussed atop his machine, which was then dumped into a lake as Bartok's piano concerto number one dawned on him. And that was uh, Fool Invents the Piano, which is in Rattle. I think that's Rattle, the current issue of Rattle, if I remember yeah, right. I think yeah, it is the current. Yeah. I think it is the current. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to explain where did the, the Fool concept come from? Um, and and what, what drew you to that, do you think? Uh, what drew me to that, I think, is uh, goes back to my interest in film classics and in silent um, comedy, uh, and uh, specifically Buster Keaton is my favorite silent comedy star, and he's one of the one of the universal fool figures. That's, that's part of his character, and um, and I started thinking about it. And the fool is a fool is an archetype, of course. I think the first story or poem that was ever uttered in whatever cave probably had a fool in it and you know fools in the bible and fools in throughout literary history don quixote's wonderful fool uh, billy pilgrim uh you name it and uh, their films stand-up comedy they're they're all over the place and uh i think it's because we're all related to fool mm -hmm. and so um and i feel especially related to him so um that's that's where i you know got connected with him and i'm um, i'm I'm back at it again. I thought, you know, I had a whole book about him, and I thought, well, that's it. And then, and then suddenly, um, he came back. And um, um, I think I'm, I think I'm through with him now. But I'm, you know, I never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's such a great character because I feel like we. Um... You know, we, we try to pretend that we don't have the fool in us so much, but we all have the fool in us. We all believe foolish things and um, do foolish things, and then we kind of like hide. You know, we we hide them in our minds, pretend that it never happened, but but it happens all the time. Like we're not yeah. we're not evolved to make um, you, you know uh, accurate models and concepts of the world. We believe silly things that aren't true. We 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 have all yeah. these cognitive errors that make us see things the wrong way, uh, and, yeah. and we're all, we're and we're um really an awkward species too, you know, walking on two feet, stumbling over everything, you know, or get the big forehead because we're spent a history of running into tree branches. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's part of the human condition. I think, you know, the serial comic, great serial comic writers, um, you know, humor comedy is part of the human experience. It's part of their vision of what human existence is all about. And if you leave it out, if you, if you like, you know, sponge it out. Sometimes you get sentimentality, you mm -hmm. know, you're, you're trying to high tragedy and it's all pure and stuff. Uh, um, it's a wonder. I, I'm, I'm always, uh, uh, Auden's line, which I'm sure I'm not quoting exactly from Musée de Beaux Arts. Uh, even in the moment of dreadful, dreadful martyrdom, there is always the, the horse or the torture is horse scratching his innocent behind <laughs> on a tree. Uh, that's, you know, it's just about suffering. They were never wrong. Okay. If suffering is, you know, is dire and, and uh, and serious and everything, but but you know, in real experience, it's not pure. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's mixed up with uh, uh, with this other element. Yeah, I, I think too. I don't know why, but but the book. I don't know if there's like any Hitler references, but I, it reminds me too of the way that Hitler is, is a fool in a lot of aspects too. You know, he's yeah. the, the height well, of evil, but he does a lot of goofy, foolish things too. 
and yeah, you know, Mussolini even more. Oh I mean, yeah, Mussolini was like a clown, <laughs> but but yeah. an evil clown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, do you want to read some more? I keep cutting you off, and, and okay. I keep saying read two, and oh, then you right. read one. <laughs> well, here's a here's a, another fool poem. Um, uh, maybe you remember the old comic book yet, or you've seen the old comic book, the Charles Atlas. Uh, thing about the guy who kicked sand on the ninety-seven pound weakling. No, I've never, never seen that. Okay, there's it's a it's a uh, it's a famous comic ad, and it was in the back of my um, my old guy comic book because it's it's a sort of archetypal comic book ad, uh, and it's a, it was a guy named Charles Atlas who had a bodybuilding um, system that used to be advertised in comic books when I was a kid, and uh, there was. Uh, this 90, 97 pound weakling who was with his girlfriend at the beach, and this bully comes by and kicks sand on them, and uh, he and the, and the girl goes off with the bully, and he goes and, and discovers the Charles Atlas bodybuilding um, system and builds himself up and comes back and and uh, punches the bully out and goes you know wins the girl back. So this is a this is a, my version of that. Uh, there, um, especially you don't have the the uh, poem in front of you. There are two characters whose names are sort of allegorical. I might confuse if I'm just reading. There's a character in the first stanza called Act, A-C-T, Act. And then there's a character in the second stanza called Thought. So Act versus Thought. Is this in the book or? This is in, this is in uh, uh, Ship of Pool. Okay. Uh, page 74. Okay. Gotcha. 97 pound pool. Shades cocked on his forehead. Fool spreads his beach towel on the sugar crystal sand. Smooths out the wrinkles for his felicity. Hoists a beach umbrella. This is the life, he thinks, as he eases onto the tie-dyed terry cloth. Just then, the bully act struts by, kicking sand on them. Fool's protests earn him two black eyes. And Felicity strides off with the assailant. Browsing at the drugstore, Fool finds an ad for the Charles Atlas bodybuilding system on the back of a comic book. And, after applying dynamic tension for only 15 minutes a day, swells into an image of the founder. Adonisized, he marches to the beach to win back his beloved, only to find out She's taken up with thought, a yachtsman whose charm is unassailable, whose marble library is all Greek to fool. So that's my version of that. Yeah, that's from uh, Ship of Fool. Um, you know, William, you, um, you sell your books really well, at least as far as I know. I know Ship of Fool, I think... When because you know, I had my book is with Red Hen Press too, and I think we were talking once, and they mentioned you were the one of the better sellers they have on their whole inventory. And when when you did a reading in, in La Cunada, it was full. Um, what yeah. do you do? Like, is there a way that you work with marketing or anything, or do you do a lot of readings, or do you? Just, is it just the, the kind of poems that you write? Um, how do you like market poetry in the twenty first century now? Well, that is the the big question. <laughs> uh, I just uh, do everything I can think of. I, I try to give a lot of readings, um, and and you know I've done uh, one time my third book. I I uh, blogged um, uh, six 
6,000 miles of, um, of um, driving oh, yeah. and flying and everything else to do the readings and stuff. I, I was trying to serve for a record. <laughs> and uh, I was at a, I was at a uh, panel on uh, promoting your own book at AWP. And this uh, guy, I can't remember the guy's name right now, but uh, uh, I, I, my punchline, you know, is I, like 6,000 miles. And the audience often just kind of breath went out. And, and so this guy was after me. And he went sixty-five thousand miles, <laughs> <laughs> so I sort of melted. That you gotta point. call the Guinness but, Book for the next tour. <laughs> yeah, he was in all forty-eight states, and uh, uh, well, it went on and on. Anyway, I, I I do Facebook, I do all this stuff. I don't do Twitter because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not really great at tech stuff. But uh, um, you know, I try to try to get the book out and and. Uh, uh, keep things rolling. Do you, do you find um, people write poems and send them to you? Because the thing that I always find is that, that, that there's a weird way in which poetry is like a grand conversation and that we always, you know, if you like reading poetry, you end up being a poet yourself and writing. And, and that's kind of the secret to what Rattle does is that we, you know, help people participate as many ways as we can and include everybody. Uh, because we know, you know, because everybody, every reader is a writer too. And that's kind of how poetry works. Um, do you find you get a lot of feedback that way? Do people like write... Uh, send you their own work and things like that. Uh, sometimes, sometimes send me. You know, somebody will send me. I wrote a fool poem too, or I wrote a old guy poem too, and you know, you go back and forth with mm-hmm. that. But I, you know, I'd like to to compliment you guys on on the way you uh, go back and forth with your audience and not just bring out a magazine and you know, there you are and that's uh, it with all these things that you're doing to, you know, get people talking back and forth uh, and poets communicating with each other and, you know, letting your readers vote on, you know, who wins the prize and, and a lot of cool stuff you guys are doing. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's because though that, that you can't, you can't assume that it's like a one directional interchange because it's really a dialogue that we have with, with literature, like just having words bounce around in your mind makes you want to write poems too and, and participate and share your perspective. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is there any advice you give to students? Because um, you, you teach in an MFA. Uh, what, what's your like number one? What's your elevator advice? If you, if you, uh... my my elevator advice is to uh, that that uh, tenacity may be uh, a notch over genius in <laughs> in, um, in being a poet uh, because there's so much coming at you that's discouraging, especially when you're starting out. And uh, I know several people who are. Um, I think better poets than I was who just gave up because, uh, you know, uh, I had, uh, I sent my first poetry collection out 55 times before it got accepted. And, uh, a friend of mine uh, came over for dinner one time and he said, you know, I, I wrote a book and he said, you know, but I sent it out five times and, <laughs> and you know, I just, that's it for me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you have to be, um, abnormally stubborn. And I think, what keeps you um, being stubborn without just, uh, you know, having to um, have it come from some artificial place. You got to love writing poetry. You got you to love, I mean, my, that's more fun for me. That's what I love the best about putting a poem together uh, and writing one. Uh, that's, that's a bigger charge than I have, uh, or, you know, getting published or all that other stuff. If I had, if I had you know, I tell my students that you're, you want to get published. First of all, you're not, not going to make any money and second of all if, if you're just doing to get it published or something other than than 
what you love and you know forget it and um, so that's mm-hmm. my little little uh, shop talk. yeah i think that's a good a good piece of advice there i always say attrition is half the battle i kind of think that's how, yeah, how it, it works with poetry you know it really I, is. I, i've seen it myself i've been an editor for 15 years and some of the poets that you know, they're young and then they write a couple amazing poems and you think, oh, my God, this is the next big poet. And then you come back later and they have some other career completely unrelated to poetry because they kind of yeah, either got yeah. bored or just didn't love it enough or whatever happened. Yeah, um, yeah. But then, but you know, the people who stay stick with it are the ones that, that find their audience and, and, you know, do that. Yeah. Get out there and sell the book. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, well, do you want to read maybe, uh, let's see, let's read one more and then I'll take another question from the audience and then we'll read okay. one. So I'll read, a, I'll read a, a serious one. Yeah, yeah. We'll have two, two poems left. Okay, two poems. Uh, they'll be short. Okay. Uh, I was, uh, my last two years in high school, I worked in a packing house um, and uh, developed a morbid curiosity about the, the killing floor, uh, and especially the hog kill, which was... Um, if you're, I don't know whether you're aware of it, but but you know they scream like human beings when they're being slaughtered. It's uh, uh, it's it's terrifying. And the and the the hog sticker, uh, the guy who actually sticks the knife in the hog's jugular uh, or carotid artery, actually, um, the one in the packing house that I worked in was was this stone-faced guy. It was, it was very there was all this violence around him, and he was just sticking hogs and not changing his expression whatsoever. Oh, I guess that's the way he you know, kept from going nuts. Yeah, but, yeah, um, it seems like he'd have to. So this is called Sticker. Inside that fusty hall of oak and chains and pulsing din, fit for rack and thumbscrew, quickness counted, concentration too. Hung by a hind leg, hogs scream and flail and bite. That knife can cut both ways. The bite heals slow. He kept inside his to and fro, perforate and pull, step back, then up again. His face, that Indian's on the nickel, squared and still, unastonished by the sudden spill. That was Sticker, another... Sticker. Yeah. That's from a chapbook called The Packing House Cantata oh. that uh, came out a while ago. Let me ask, uh, I'm going to make a question on something, but but uh, Jessica Dawson right. again says, uh, the first few rejections were rough and humbling, but now I kind of appreciate any that come my way. Uh, poems get rejected for a reason. You can only get better, right? And I wonder, is there a, a, a poem or book that you... Um, that wasn't ready and it was rejected and then you sort of realized it and kept working on it. Has that been part of your process? Well, um, I don't think, uh, until I got with Red Hen, who is, is kind of my publisher now, uh, none of my books got accepted the first time I sent them out. So I thought, well, you know, I must, you know, I must have to do something here. Um, so, uh, yeah, I kept polishing and sending out. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, can be a helpful signal that you need to just uh, press a little harder, you know, um, rework things a little more. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else asked, I can't, I'm having trouble finding it. I'm scrolling back up. But um, somebody asked about just your writing process in general. And you, you mentioned having fun with the act of writing poems. Do you have like a time you sit down every day? Do you, do you like have a studious like office hours where I'm going to be writing? Or do you just, where you're in the mood, you end up writing or when you have time? How, do, how does that work for you? 
Well, it's different since I'm I'm just part time teaching now, and so I have a lot of time that I can you know spend writing. Uh, when I was teaching full time, I tended to like take up all my energy. I got most of my writing done in the summer at writing colonies and things. Uh, and when I was when I was very busy, I would I, my poems usually come in these little buzzes, like a little image occurs to me or something I see or somebody something somebody says. And and but I'm I'm in a place where I can't write a poem about it then. So I I get a piece of paper and scribble a little note of some kind, two or three words that'll just trigger that, that memory. And uh, sometimes I remember I used to carry a checkbook when I would get my deposit slip out and, and make a poetry deposit on my deposit <laughs> slip and take it home and, and put it in a notebook. And you know, a week or two later, uh, I'd have a little list of them and I'd come back and some of them had died, withered away, and some of them still had a spark in them. And so I'd, I'd then I'd have, you know, I'd sit down on a Saturday or something, I had time to write a poem, and I'd, I'd write like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was very, it was pretty sporadic. I didn't do like every day, because I like teaching every day kind of took all my energy. And then I also was editing a literary magazine for, on top of that. And, and uh, so, as you know, editing a literary <laughs> magazine takes a lot yeah, of yeah. energy, too. So, um, and now I, I, um, I write pretty much every day, um, um, write in the morning and edit and the afternoon. I don't necessarily do it every day, but uh, uh, just, uh, uh, you know, no pressure. So mm -hmm. it's kind of yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure everybody could relate to um, you know, not having time and trying to find ways to fit it in. Um, I didn't realize you edited a literary journal, though. What journal was that? Uh, the Laurel Review. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I was a co-editor of it, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we took it over from uh, West Virginia Wesleyan University, and uh, it, it's, uh, it was started in 1960, so it's pretty, it's still going now. Uh, and I, I uh, bailed out when I took early retirement um, and turned it over to somebody else. But, so, uh, so how long ago uh, was that? Uh, 1998 is when I left. Hmm. Took early retirement. So, so what was it like and, then? I, were most, I assume the submissions were all hard copy and... and, and yeah, they were all hard copy and... and uh, uh, we used to look forward to getting Albert Goldbarth's submission. Have you got, you've gotten some from me, I mean, because they were, they were these amazing, uh, you know, they used to, they had a little cardboard backing, and, and they were typed flawlessly on an old typewriter, you know, no evidence of, of erasures or anything, and then neatly bound with the string, you know, up, up and down. Um, and then sometimes we get things from prisons that are written on the outside of the envelope with threats and mm -hmm. stuff like that, or, and we got... Uh, we had a chapbook series, um, uh, Green Tower chapbooks, and um, uh, a poet named Art Homer. We did a book called Tattoos with a tattoo with a kind of stylized naked lady on it. We got a, a lot of prison letters from that because they thought, you know, they thought it was some kind of stuff inside. And we actually had a running order for five years from a sex store in Helsinki, Finland, <laughs> who was ordering copies of this because they, they probably thought it was the art of home tattooing or something. And <laughs> but uh, so yeah. we got yeah we have got them in all sorts of shapes. yeah that's funny it, you know, I guess nothing has changed because we still get stuff like that we still get the Albert Goldbarth um, you know perfectly typed and we get the prison letters. There's one guy who sends us a letter once a week with a and they're not they're wow. not really poems so it's hard to I don't want to like discourage him and so I try to. Could suggest yeah. a way that he could make them more into poems. They're more like rants in a block of text. So um, oh, you just wow. get straight. You definitely get strange things. And some people. Um, one person sent me a naked a picture of himself, like naked. 
<laughs> like a playing card kind of thing. It was tra- you just I have this whole drawer back at the office of um, weird wow. stuff that we've gotten over the years, and it still happens. It's just much uh, less frequent nowadays. I have an editor friend, Neil Bowers, who edited um, uh, what was it, uh, the Iowa State Literary Magazine, um, uh, poet and critic, it was called, and uh, he used to keep um, when the editor died and, and willed him the editorship. Uh, he made him swear that he would, like the old editor, would reply to every submission. And so uh, Neil, being an honest, sturdy guy, kept his promise and, and reply, was replying to every submission. And uh, I said, well, you know, people must really you know, like that. You know, it would be very helpful to, you know, if you're not just get a blank rejection slip. And, and he said, well, I get a lot of hate mail, too, for that. <laughs> and he he took me out, my, my favorite one, he took me out and he had a whole drawer full of the, of the weird ones. And uh, my favorite one was, uh, you fuck, don't you know I'm in the penguin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a regular. I, I found out now that it's all email, you cut down that a lot by uh, not sending any uh rejection letters at night because people are much more likely to be sober in the morning so if you get a rejection oh. <laughs> from me uh, it's just so i don't have to put up with as many uh death threats <laughs> as i do if i send one at midnight because someone's drunk oh. and, and doesn't like the, the way it went <laughs> oh boy yeah um anyway the end of life of yeah, an editor. yeah exactly <laughs> uh, well you want to close out with uh, one last poem okay i'll do one last poem um this one is um based on what one of my freshman English students would, would say was true fact, as opposed to a false fact. Uh, it's called Obedience. This was a little, you ever have a dog follow you home when you were a kid? No, actually. A stray dog. Well, this is, this is, you know, this happened to me. Obedience, this is called. The ghost of it whimpered back last night from a wet November 50 years ago. A scraggly cocker that shadowed me home from school and when I let it in, ignored a meal, the snuffle crotches and hump legs, as if to win us with what it knew of love. Its sad pink dick unsheathed like a gut protruding from a wound. Its roomy eyes spinning with dread. Its odor of mushroom and shit making itself at home on our carpet. No, bad dog, down, we said, shoving it away. So my father got it in the car, and we drove off through the dark to a cornfield outside town where the rain blew, and it slumped off right away, going to get lost like a good dog. That was obedience. Uh, thanks so much, yes. William Trubridge. It's a pleasure to talk to you, as, as I thought it would be. Um, yeah, thanks so much for joining well, us. It's been great talking to you, Tim. Yeah. Um, have a good night, and I hope to see you again soon. I'm sure I'll see your poem soon. So thanks a lot for All continuing right. to send them. Okay, take <laughs> care. You. Bye. Bye. Yes, that was William Trowbridge uh, with his book, uh, his most recent book. Well, his, I don't know how, how many books. I don't know how many books back this is. This just happened to already be on my bookshelf. This is Ship of Fool, which he read from. Uh, he has a new Fool book coming out soon. This is Red Hen Press. Uh, you get that at redhen.org. And um, his newest book, though, is Old Guy Superhero. And uh, it's, just a, it's a great book. Let me just show you a few more. 
to get an idea of um, how fun this stuff is. Like here's a here's old guy playing chess with death. You can imagine this is old guy versus his nemesis. So um, there's really fun, entertaining poems uh, with really cool illustrations. If um, you know you're trying to uh, introduce poetry to somebody, maybe this is a maybe a good example of uh, a gift book that you could share to let people know that poetry isn't the um, the old uh, ivory tower stuff that most people think it is. Um, so check out Old Guy Superhero, and his website is, um, let's see, is uh, William Trowbridge, is it .net? Yep, WilliamTrowbridge.net. So uh, check out his website, and it was William Trowbridge. Um, now we're moving on to the open mic portion of the show. Now, just to remind you, if you missed, if you came in a little late, the open mics now are only about the prompt poems. And because um, we're trying to encourage people, including myself, maybe especially myself, if we're going to be honest, and especially Megan, uh, we're trying to encourage each other to write poems every week, at least one. I'm going to start writing a news poem every week, too. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to write, try to write a news poem and a, uh, and a prompt poem. But so the open mic is just for prompt poems. If you would like to, um, um, let me put up this on the screen. If you, if you sent in a poem or haven't yet but would like to, uh, just email your prompt poem uh, to openmic at rattle.com, and uh, you can send me a chat message over Skype if you'd like to uh, read it. Um, Michelle Perks and Matthew King are both here. Um, not Michelle Perks, Michelle Parks. And um, I think we published Michelle Parks, maybe. I'm going to think of someone else. Anyway, um, yeah, so, so two people on Skype are lined up. Uh, and the phone number is 818-850-7727. If you'd like to call in and share your poem, The Swimmer, it has to be called The Swimmer. That's the rule. Um, if you'd like to do that tonight, just give me a, give me a call at 818-850-7727. Let it ring a few times so it pulls up on my call list, and then I will call you back right away. Um, let's see. And I'm not sure. So if you, let's see. So Michelle Parks, I think some people don't know that it's only for prompt poems, and it's not just a total pure open mic anymore. Um, but that's the way it is. So if you, so Michelle, if you um, email the poem to uh, openmic at rattle.com so I can see that it's appropriate for today's, uh, today's open mic, it has to be called The Swimmer. Uh, I know Matthew King's is called The Swimmer. We'll, we'll try him out. Now, um, okay, so once again, this was the prompt for this week. Must be titled The Swimmer. Uh, must use the words, must not use the words water or pool. And this is my poem. I'm going to try to write short. I love the um, the short form style of um, like um, Kay Ryan or uh, Wendy Vidalock or Mike White. Uh, I've never really written in that style all that much. So I'd like, to, I'm going to use these uh, open mics maybe to, to work on that style. This is my attempt at trying to cram as much in. Because when, when, when you have a short poem, you can cram as much in as possible. I really like that, but I'm not really that good at it. So let's see. Um, let's see how how this goes. This is my poem for tonight, The Swimmer. And also, if I do a short poem, um, it'll, it'll give everybody else more time. This is The Swimmer. And uh, this is, uh, you know, my daughter, uh, both Megan and I wrote about the same thing, which is my daughter who loves swimming, but there are no pools where we are. So um, we only get to go swimming down either there's a pond in town, actually a sag pond. It's the San Andreas Fault, literally, blocking up some water is a pond. Uh, the only other place we can go swimming is uh, um, her grandparents' house down near uh, Palm Springs. And so we like to go down there as much as possible. Uh, but we're not able to 
you know, who knows when we'll be able to go there again. Um, but here, here's my poem. This is The Swimmer. The Swimmer. Without the pool or water, there would still be flight. Our holy daughter holding on to the concrete lip, inflated wings that kite above the diving board, the joyous slips she's falling toward. I don't know. So that's my poem. Now, Megan's poem, she wrote about the same thing, our daughter Jo, who just left swimming. And um, this was Megan's poem, The Swimmer. In the unfiltered Palm Springs sunshine, she is silver as a dolphin, my daughter, and suddenly surreal, half animal, half dream. Light as an August breeze, her hair floats beneath the surface, and when she emerges, her chemical grin reels in the chlorine tide. And suddenly there it is, her grown-up face, its more angular lines, the mischief in her eyes deepening into fierceness. And behind it, I can make out her toddler face, her baby face, all the versions and incarnations of this one life as she turns and glints and darkens and reflects. And then a lone cloud obscures the sun and she is back to being nine. And when she dives again, the splash she makes almost drowns me. So that was Megan's poem, The Swimmer. So Joe has two poems now about her swimming. I wonder if she'll like them. She'll probably be embarrassed. Okay, so let's see who... Uh, Matthew King said he would like to try Skype. We've had him on before. Um, hey, Matthew, let me pull you in one second. And uh, if you can, click on the camera button so we can see you too. If you don't want us to see you... <laughs> Well, I can still hear you. <laughs> okay. There you are. Uh, good good to see you. Hang on one second. Boop. There you are. Oh, hang on. I got things blocked. Out. Okay. Ah, Matthew King. So so you're finally, it's nice to see you. You've had, you've had a open mic yeah, poems uh, for the first, you know, for a couple of weeks in a row now. Uh, you're the guy with the birds and bees and blooms.com, the nature (laughs) photography website, which, and, um, calling from Toronto. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so your poem is the swimmer, obviously. Um, are you ready to read it? Uh, sure. Yeah. So yeah, oddly enough, it's titled the swimmer. (laughs) Uh, you used to see her float clear across the lake almost every morning bobbing warning red behind her in the waves, jerking with each stroke, so you couldn't miss her. Cody wasn't the first to think that he could throw a scare or something in her, driving fast right at her like she wasn't there. She'd learned to hold her line. Didn't even bug her anymore, I think. But kids would keep on trying, keep on getting closer. What they ever thought would happen, I don't know. They wanted some reaction. Cody got, I guess, what he was looking for. You'd have to go and ask her why she gave up swimming. Tell her I miss seeing her float across the lake. Awesome. It was The Swimmer by Matthew King. Thanks so much for sharing that, Matthew. And, and uh, really great to see you. Yeah, thanks for figuring this out for yeah, me. Yeah, you too. I thanks. know it's, uh, I appreciate you sending the audio before, but um, it's much nicer. I like doing callers, so um, I don't want to give anybody excuses <laughs> not to. <laughs> yeah, it's my first time doing yeah, this. Yeah, well, it's it worked, it worked perfectly. Yeah, so you can go back and watch yourself and, and feel as awkward as I do every uh, Wednesday when I check out how I looked. <laughs> okay. Well, have a good one, Matthew. Good to see you. All right, you too. Bye. Thanks. Okay, let's call up uh, Michelle Parks. Um, she, let's see, she texted me. I can, I can actually probably... 
in the chat, Michelle uh, sent me. And I should say that if I call you on Skype, make sure to X out of your YouTube when you hear the ring. Because um, there's a delay. There's a 30 second or minute delay. Michelle, can you hear me? Hey, great to, yeah, oh, there you are. Oh, Michelle Parks, that's where I recognize your name now that I see your face again. Good to see you again. Let me play in to the screen. Michelle, hi. So how are you doing today? And, and you're f- calling from, is it South Carolina? Yeah, near Charleston. Yeah, it's a long time no see. You used to do the open mic a lot, uh, you know, a while ago. Yeah, I just have health issues, but say la vie, life is beautiful. It definitely is. So how how you doing now? Now, you, how are you staying um, safe with the old coronavirus and all that? Yeah, I even became ordained. Oh really? I can marry people. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, well, I'm already married, but if not, <laughs> um, so you wrote a swimmer poem for the prompt. Um, let me let me try to get it for everybody to see. Let's see. So I think if I yeah, here we go. I think it's a little okay. Yeah, so everybody can read along, and uh, go ahead whenever you're ready. Okay, I'll probably change some words as I read it. Okay. Um, the swimmer. I never learned to swim. I sat and watched. I ate sandwiches on sand, carefully applying mayonnaise so the foil wouldn't touch the bread. Mother taught me bacteria can kill, and all that I am will die, and I have repented. I had sins washed away in the bath, scrubbing, intrepid, shamed for being born in a skin of decay, washed into the drain. I never learned to swim, so I drowned over and over again, washed away. Ah, excellent poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Michelle. Oh, thank you. Yeah, good to see you, yeah. good to see you again. Thanks for calling. I'm glad you're, you're feeling up to watching the show and, and joining in. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a good one. Stay safe. Thanks. Good night. Okay, let's see. So, um, let's see, Caitlin B. We got a 401 number. Let me call that uh, 401 number. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle. Did you want to share a poem? Great show tonight. Thanks. Uh, who is this I'm talking to? This is Diana Cole. Ah, hi, Diana. Um, and you sent a poem. I saw you. Did you send I your... sent a poem in an email, right? You wrote me back, said you would call, so oh, but I thought right. I'd better call in anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I found it, the swimmer here. Okay, let me um, put it on screen for everybody to see. So where are you calling from? From Rhode Island. Ah, and how are things in Rhode Island? Are, are, um... They're pretty good, actually. We've got things under control. Well, that's, we're a that's small good to hear. state, so we don't have a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but... It's, and I'm doing what I usually do, which is write and do art, so it's, it's not too different for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, okay, so I have it ready. Okay. If you want to read. Yep, go ahead. Okay, The Swimmer. At the gun, they're off. Millions all over the globe, every day, every hour. I imagine them undulating side by side with wobbling butterfly strokes at an impressive eight inches an hour. What are the odds any will survive? One in 200 million? Just one, the lucky SOB who clocks in at 30 minutes, who carries the heartbeat, the push, to redouble his DNA over and over and over. You are the one who won the rights to my flesh and blood. 
all knew we were mother and son, the same big ears, wide grin, but you never wore fins or a bathing cap. It was techno and wild hair colors, while I dabbed in a few highlights. My bathing cap, a pale pink, left marks of constriction on my forehead. Fins pushed me ahead of myself. You took an extra lap at college classes, drifted into a riptide, tossed up, slammed down in mosh pits, surrounded by clouds and vapors, surfed the raves in black vinyl speedos. Still, whatever made it up that canal into that egg first stayed with you, although I can't quite name it. And all the selves that touched bottom resurfaced, unharmed, and strong. Thank you. That was uh, Dan Cole reading uh, The Swimmer. Thanks so much, Dan. Okay, thank you. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. It's cool to see uh, all the different takes that people have on the prompt. This is kind of what I'd hoped for when we <laughs> set up a prompt. It reminds me of doing the ekphrastic challenge where, um, you know, they, with the one picture, and then you have like 400 different different interpretations <laughs> of it. Um, this is really cool. I'm, I'm glad you could call in and share that. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks. Have a good night. You too. Okay, so um, I think, let's see. I'm not going to be able to get to everybody. But uh, Vicky Miko, I saw her on the chat, and she has a, a haiku, if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. This is a good haiku. So uh, this is Vicky Miko's poem, Haiku, The Swimmer. Prone on the wet grass at the five-mile finish line, The Swimmer. So here's again. Prone on the wet grass at the five-mile finish line, The Swimmer. That's an excellent poem, excellent haiku. I love that. Yeah, the five-mile finish line. I would be prone on the wet grass, too. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, let's see. So someone's calling. Let me just answer. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle. Who am I talking to? Oh, hey, Chris. Yeah, I was going to call you next. But thanks for finding me. Let me pull you <laughs> Let me pull you in. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, I, I love, I love uh, Bill. So uh, it was really fun talking to him. And, and, and he's just how I would expect him to be after reading his books for so many years. Well, I'd never even known him before, so I definitely was checking him out. <laughs> yeah, well, you're in for a treat. They're all really fun, fun, good books. So, um, yeah, so this is, I, I think uh, I didn't have her in yet, but this is Chris Beaver from uh, somewhere in, is it Oregon or Washington? Uh, across the Lake Washington from Seattle. Ah, okay. Yeah, I love that area. Um, yeah, and Chris is at a poem and rattle back, um, Poetry Spawn, maybe a year ago. Uh, but she has a... Um, in the summer. In the <laughs> summer, yeah, yeah. And uh, here's her the swimmer's poem. Oh, there it is. You even include your bio, which is nice. You live in the Pacific Northwest near Seattle. After retiring from teaching, she returned writing poetry in 2017. And so on. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Okay, so here's your poem is up on screen. And uh, all right. Oh, hang on. Now it's up on screen. So read it whenever you're ready. The Swimmers. After a humid night of pinnacle and a bottle of two buck chuck, Olive and Myrtle slipped out the back door and into the lake naked, the same way they'd been celebrating retirement for 10 summers. Their husbands on the cabin porch, smoking cigars. Watch the women's white behinds disappear into the slick chiaroscuro 
then grabbed their wives' terrycloth bathrobes and beach towels and drove the mile around to the other side to wait for the women who'd waded through miscarriages and flang-lipped babies, perpetual PTA committees, olives double mastectomy, one past one husband's startup and bankruptcy, the other's fling with a sultry secretary, to emerge, still married, dripping with dignity, steady as the moon marveling over everyone who dares to make their own way across. Thanks so much. That was Chris Beaver with her poem, The Swimmer. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Chris. Another excellent poem. Uh, I'm so glad you could call Thank in, you. And, uh, and you did a great job reading it. You, you mentioned you were nervous, but there's no reason to be. You were a great poetry <laughs> reader. Well, the um, poem is about this woman I used to work, um, write, be in a writing group with in the 1980s who was elderly, and she used to do this mm-hmm. with a friend, and they'd swim across like Washington at night, <laughs> and their husbands would drive around and pick them up. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. People, you know, they they have a lot of a lot of guts. I think. Does that connect to the ocean, like Washington? Well, yes. If you go through the canals mm-hmm. now, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So be well, and thank you for doing this, Tim. This is really a great way to connect with everyone. It's oh, super. it's my pleasure. It's just a lot of fun. I love every Tuesday night. I love every Sunday morning. I love every Friday afternoon. These are all all the videos we do are really fun. So I'm I'm really glad uh, a lot of people are participating and enjoying it. Thanks a lot, Chris. Okay, bye bye. Bye. Okay, so that is the show for today. Um, like I said, we had a, about a dozen people doing the poem uh, this week, so we can't get to everybody. Um, I'm really curious, you know, what everybody else wrote. But um, but thanks so much for doing it and. Um, you know, the, the whole point is that um, poetry is really good, a good exercise to do for your, your mind and your spirit and your body. And um, I'm glad that um, so many people are participating. So thanks so much. And, and we'll do it again next week with a prompt. Now, next week's prompt. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, so Megan gives me these list of prompts like once every couple months. And I couldn't help but pick this one given uh, the book we went over today. This was from her list that she gave me a couple weeks ago. Uh, her poem now is... Um, Next week's prompt, I should say, is a superhero comes home to an empty house after a long day on the job. So be inspired by uh, William Trowbridge's old guy superhero and make a superhero of your own. I don't know if she knew this po- this book was coming up when she picked this prompt um, or if uh, she just was thinking about prompts and came up with this one, but it's perfect for today. So, you know, William Trowbridge has his old guy superhero. Come up with your own superhero and... Um, a superhero comes home to an empty house after a long day on the job. That's your prompt for next week. So enjoy writing that. And as always, just send the, uh, send the text if you want to open mic at rattle.com and then call in during the show. And uh, you can read it. And if uh, we don't have enough people calling in, I'll just read poems myself. But, and we'll go for, you know, you know, 20 minutes or so, sharing maybe four or five of the poems every week. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun, and uh, more people will be encouraged to write more poems, and that's what this is all about, that we do at Rattle. So thanks so much for joining us at that. Now, um, I should say, let's see, we have the uh, Critique of the Week every Friday, as always, at uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time, which would be 5 p.m. Eastern. Then we have the Open Mic Show, Poetry's Fun Live, Sunday mornings at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, and that's for your current events poems. It's an open mic. I share the poem or two that we published that week, and then uh, 
you call in like you do here and share other poems so we can talk about news through poetry that's always a lot of fun and finally uh, and this is going to be the, the it i can only do three hours of uh, live video a week as fun as it is but I, this is the most uh, amount i could spend on it but three hours is really fun and next week's guest will be Danusha Lamaris. Uh, she's the author of Bonfire Opera, which just came out recently, and uh, she's been published in Rattle several times, dating back to like maybe 2008 or so. So I'm really looking forward to reading her book. She's an excellent poet, and she'll be our guest next Tuesday, May 5th at 9 p.m. Um, and in the meantime, hope you have a great week. Hope to see you soon, and uh, do write that superhero poem prompt. Um, all right, talk to you later. Okay.